Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and today's guest I'm so excited to have. It's Harry Slatkin, Executive Chairman and President of Slatkin & Co. Hi, Harry. How are you? Good morning. How are you? So Harry- I'm so happy to be here. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm so happy to be here because you've had my wife before. She talks so highly of you. I, of course, know you socially, but I've never been on the podcast. I love you both. I'm, I'm big fans of you both. And Thank I you. adore your wife. And, Thank you know, you guys are, I feel like, the the ultimate candle entrepreneurs. You've basically created this category in America. So we have, everyone should be thanking you for all the candles that they have in your house, whether they're your brand or not. They but, do through purchases. That's how they thank me. Every time they <laughs> buy a candle, that's a thank you. Harry, I heard during, I mean, you guys are the ultimate New Yorkers, but I heard you and Laura move during COVID full-time to Florida, but you're back. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, quasi. So we did move to Florida. We'd we'd had a house in Florida for a long time, but it was a weekend house. And when COVID hit, New York changed dramatically. Everything closed. And we went down to Florida and we became Florida residents. Um, And so by becoming Florida residents, we had to spend about six months um, in Florida. But as every New Yorker who has it in their blood, um, we are back. As a matter of fact, I am doing this podcast from our new apartment. And last night was our first night in here. So um, I've got lots of candles going because it still smells like paint everywhere. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you guys back more full time. And I hope, um, you know, I'm sure you guys will be entertaining, especially for holidays and with all of the course. candles and this fleet but- of stores. But don't you find the energy is returning to New York? I, I, you know, I used to, I would come up on weekends for visits or meetings and it actually was quite sad for a while and scary. I just feel there's a new energy back that feels like the old New York. It's definitely building. I think, I mean, those early days of COVID were so wild and now it's just like a little bit more each day. It's great that it's fall finally and people seem it to is. be out and excited. Just remember, I get lit wherever I am. So the thing is, um, I'm in New York, I'll get lit. I'm in Florida, I'll get lit. I'm not talking cocktails, I'm talking my candles. (laughs) Well, that's a great segue, Harry, because I know you and Laura founded Slatkin & Co. in 1992 as a luxury proposition. But I want you to take me back a little bit. What did you do before that? And how were you drawn to this sector, to this market, to candles? Oh my gosh, I hope this is a two-hour podcast because here we go. Okay, so Laura and I were both working on Wall Street. I was working at Bear Stearns and Laura was working at Lehman Brothers, both extinct now, which is hard to believe. And um, we were engaged. And right before we got engaged, um, the man who had the office next to me, his name was Arthur Becker, was engaged to Vera Wang. And he said to me, this is before Vera became what we all know of Vera. But she was opening her bridal shop and she and we went to dinner. At the end of dinner, Vera said to me, you know, Harry, this is good for Artie. That's what she called him. But I'm not so sure this is a you thing. You seem much more creative than, than finance. So I went home depressed thinking, ooh, was she right? I'm in the wrong business. I mean, she still was a stellar, you know, creative person having done what she'd done in her own career before she started bridal. And then I thought, well, maybe she's hinting for me to open or be the president of her new bridal shop, which she was not. But I started thinking about it, and Laura and I were engaged, and we wanted a change in our life. And my brother, who started the whole home fragrance business, by he was an interior designer. He gave them their own home fragrance as a gift. 
And they were all well, well-known ladies, like Yasmin, which was one of the candles, was Yasmin Aga Khan, whose mother was Rita Hayworth, the actress, and father was Prince Ali Khan. Or Susan, who's Susan Goodfriend, and her husband was chairman of Solomon. They're all well-known ladies, but he only did it as a gift to the client. So he said to Laura, because he was so tired of sitting at a dinner, and the woman to the right and the woman to the left would say, can I have a candle? No, I don't just do candles. So he said, if you want as a present, you can have it. And Laura said, yes. The exact same time we said yes, Rosemary Bravo, who became very famous for relaunching Burberry and really growing it, was first becoming the chairman of Saks. And she called us up and said, I hear such great things about your candles. Can I come see them? She came to see our candles and she launched us. Now, back then, she was going to launch us on the eighth floor of Saks, which to this day, I know it's their shoe floor, but I think people need oxygen (laughs) or forget why they're going to the eighth floor. So I had read all these great books on Estee Lauder, Helena Rubinstein, Charles Reston, who found Revlon, and realized I needed to be like a lipstick, an instant purchase, which is I love being on your podcast because beauty is where I wanted to push home fragrance into. So she launched us on the third floor, not quite cosmetics, the third floor in a big shop. Women's Wear Daily wrote a big article on us, um, a full page, and everyone called us to do their home fragrance Ralph Lauren, Nars, Lauren Mercia, Chappard, Vera Wang, Tori Birch. Everyone did that. And we ended up in beauty eventually. So we became that instant purchase. And that is the long story to how it all began. Did you know back then that this was going to be a big business? Because, I mean, it sounds very happenstance. Like your brother had this idea. You guys decided I want to change. And from banking, you just on a whim, we're on the sax floor, on the sax third floor. You know, you guys grew to become such a huge, iconic house, so much so that you were selling to Bath and Body Works in 2005. Like, was that the trajectory that you were after? Or were you just thinking this was going to be like a small family business? I never think small anything. So that's I love that. I love it. I started my first company when I was 15. My brother was 17. We started together with a table and bed and company that grew very fast, but we couldn't manage it. And that's another story. But if you want to get into it, I'm happy to. That's another story. So everything I've done, I've always think of growth. When we started the candle business, to be honest with you, when you look back 30 years ago, all you had was what I call low home fragrance, meaning cheap home fragrance, or very high end, a couple imports from France. You had nothing in between, which is why, what was it, three years ago, the year before COVID, um, they gave Laura and I the Game Changer Award at the Fragrance Foundation. They gave it to Laura. I actually presented it to Laura, so that's why I claim it was to both of us. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm big at claiming, by the way. But the point is, is that they gave it to us because we really changed the industry. No, did we think it would become as big as it did? No. Did we hope it would become bigger than something small? Yes, because we don't think small. So you sold to Limited Brands, which owns Bath & Body Works, in 2005. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. You know, did you, you want to think- hear the story, how it happened? Tell me. It's a funny story. Okay. So one day I get a phone call at Side Company. We were always, we were on, oh no, every Oprah Winfrey Christmas show. We were in Vogue. We were the only ones that Anna would write about. I mean, we were that kind of home fragrance brand. So we got lots of phone calls of people saying, would you sell us? And, you know, they owned a vitamin bath, you know, kind of line, or they owned something that never really felt like the comfortable fit for us. So one day I get a phone call and my 
secretary, who I didn't understand much, she was French, but she would come in, and so in between words, I'd understand her, and she said, let's work now on the phone. So I pick up the phone. I knew who Les Wexner was, but I really didn't understand Victoria's Secret Bath and Body Works because I was a luxury brand coming from a luxury world because we sold at Bergdorf, Neiman Sachs, Nordstrom's, that kind of thing. So I pick up the phone and it was Les on the phone, no secretary. And he said, I'm coming to New York. Would you mind if I came to talk to you for about 45 minutes? And I said, sure. He said, my office will arrange it. So he came the following week. He sat in my office. 45 minutes turned into three hours. What happened is he had started a home fragrance business called White Barn Candle, which because he lives on White Barn Lane in Columbus, Ohio. And it was fledgling. He could not get it off the ground. He had three presidents. And he sat in meetings saying, can someone call the Slatkins? Because me and his wife, Abigail, only use Slatkin and Company. But no one ever called us. He doesn't even use his own brand. He didn't no, even use his he own was brand. Using ours. No, he did not. So he ended up calling myself because no one ever listened to him, which I don't think is a very good thing when you work for him. So he came and he said at the end of the meeting, we really connected. And in the meeting, he said, can you come to Columbus for a visit? Laura was in the meeting. Of course, we both own Slatkin and Company. And the reason I connected is it's Oprah, why I love being on Oprah's show. Les never spoke down to his customer at Bath and Body Works. He traveled the world. He had his executives travel the world to see the latest fragrances in France, Italy, wherever you were, that's what he wanted to inspire the collection. So for me, I stood back when I first walked into Bath and Body Works. E-gods. I mean, Laura had to be behind me. I almost passed out because they were talking down to their customer in home fragrance. And so I love that because I thought I could influence it. We flew to Columbus, Ohio. At that dinner, at dinner at his house, we spoke about everything except home fragrance. I walked to the door. They said, I'd like to buy your company. The door was shut. I went back to the Hilton Hotel in Columbus, Ohio. Laura and I said, what does that mean? And what it meant (laughs) is he bought the company and he bought me. I went on to become the president of home for um, limited brands. So- for a lot of founders, especially founders today who are starting their brands or, you know, within the last 10 years, that's the penultimate goal. They sell their brand, you know, they stick around for two years, three years, and then they're, you know, they've made their millions, they're off. What happened with you? Because I feel like you could have easily retired. You could have easily retired. What and you- happened with me? Okay, go ahead. No, well, I mean, like, you could have easily retired after that, or you could have stuck around for a few years. And I'm wondering, you know, what made you think that you wanted to come back to this business again and stay with this business? Oh, my God. I wish Laura was here. She'd give you such a different answer. Laura's my wife, by the way. Um, really, it's passion and opportunity. And when I say opportunity, so passion, I absolutely love what I do. There's no doubt I wake up every day and go to sleep every night happy. I have done this for 30 years. It's in my DNA. What I like is when I worked on Wall Street, you see, the problem is when I be in a meeting with people that I call success, the chairman of this or the founder of that company, I was quiet. When I'm in a room now, I don't care where you are in fragrance. I don't care what you are in home fragrance. I can put you in the corner. I, I, I know I have a nose. I'm the only recognized nose in the home fragrance industry. Given it by Linda Wells, who was the editor-in-chief of Allure, gave me the award at a ceremony for the perfumers. I am the only one in the industry. So when people get in a room and start to talk, I don't care. Leonard Lord is one of our best friends. I'm not embarrassed anymore. I don't feel shy. 
I created an industry within fragrance. And so for me, that pride, that love, that passion is what gets me going. And I could, how could I ever leave that? It's my, it's part of my energy. What would I do? Sit in a rocking chair in Palm Beach? How did you develop that? Because that confidence is something, you know, a lot of people struggle with, you know, being able to, you know, find their footing, find their voice, even if they have all the accolades and people around them think they're great, they themselves, it's hard for them to project that. How did you do it? First of all, I never listen to what people say, negative or positive, because I have to feel that myself. So um, that's the starter. So listen to yourself. I am a cup half full, never empty. So that starts. So for me, I always look at the world happy, not negative. I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better start there because there's a lot of negative that will come along as an entrepreneur. Failure is my second best friend that I've had in my career. Luckily, I had failure earlier on. I mentioned my first company at 15. It failed. Any great person I've ever met, like my best friend, Tommy Hilfiger, well, guess what? His first company went bankrupt. You learn from those failures. You look at it and you say to yourself, what did I do wrong? Even now, I sit there and I say to myself, hmm, you know, what didn't, why did that candle not sell well? Why did that collection not sell well? So I look at the failures, but I snap out of it quickly and go on forward. Half cup, uh, what is it? Cup half full, not cup half empty. So why did you leave Slatkin & Co. and Limited Brands in 2012? Like what was the impetus there? Because obviously you loved what you did, but it was just the different environment. Was it the corporate environment, not being able to be entrepreneurial? Because you almost left beauty entirely and you went over and did a a project with, with Tommy in fashion. Yes, yes. So what happened is I had a bet with Les Wexner's. Lex Wexner, no one knew to believe in either of us that we could grow the business to a billion dollars. So we both said we could grow the business to a billion, and that was my bet. That's what I sold the company. That's why I went, and five years later, I sold the. I left, stepped down from the company at a billion dollars, um, a billion three actually. And today, the company does in home fragrance two point three billion. So I did what I had to do. And at a billion dollars, what happens is when I started, I was entrepreneurial at Limited Brands. He let me set up offices in New York. I had my own team. Soon as we started hitting 400 million, 500 million, I'm now going into these big teams. And the entrepreneur or the excitement of it starts to leave, not the quality when I was there because I was very much involved in that, but it was no longer what I could call hands-on for me. And so I decided after getting to a billion dollars that it was time for me to step down. I did consult for three years and I look at those days so fondly because it was such a wonderful, fun time for me. So I continued consulting for three years, but I had a non-compete in the fragrance business. So I was talking to my best friend, Tommy Hilfiger, and Tommy said, why don't we do something in fashion? And I said, ooh, okay, I never thought of that. And um, I've always loved fashion, but like shopping and buying for it, never owning it. And we found a company in England called, actually was owned by Italians at the time, but it was a British brand called Bellstaff. And I decided to do that while still consulting from, for three years for Bath and Body Works. So that's how I pivoted into fashion. Was it hard leaving limited brands and leaving your name with limited brands? Oh, that. No, I thought you were going to ask me, was it hard in fashion? No, it wasn't oh. hard. I was so proud of the fact of building 
uh, the, you know, the largest home fragrance company in the world. I was so proud of taking what used to be a cherry smelling cough drop candle and making <laughs> it now a fine fragrance home fragrance. I was so proud of everything that I did that no, that pride allowed me to continue on and leave the baby in someone else's hand at that time. We'll get to that later. But at that time, yes. But no, I was really proud of it. I loved I loved being in an airport and people coming up to me and saying, oh my God, because I was doing QVC back then um, at the same time. Oh my God, you're Harry Sykin. I love your candles. I use your candles. That doesn't happen as much in luxury. It happens more in mastige because you have a broader client base. So I did love that. I felt a little movie star and quite truthfully, it's still a, a little flattering to have people come up to you in the at, at random times at airports and things like that and restaurants. And I do like that. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, definitely. You are more than a mini movie star. I mean, QVC talent and founders are stars. But let's talk about that a little bit. You know, there was a little bit of an unlock that happened there with you and then also with Home Fragrance. You know, when you were at Limited Brands, and Bath and Body Works, one of the most unusual things about that is that, you know, they always, they own their retail environment, they own their stores, they own their e-commerce, but you guys struck a partnership with QVC back then. And that seemed to, you know, what people are talking about now, you know, that it's so hard to sell fragrance online and how do you get the customer to get excited about a scent? You were doing that back in like 2007, 2008. What was that like? And is the fervor that happened back then, does it still exist today? Okay, so now here comes the oddball entrepreneur side of me. Since I've been 14, 15, I was addicted to watching Home Shopping Network when Barry Diller started it. So some people watch a movie, I was watching them selling things on air because I thought, oh my God, how fascinating that you can sell Ginsu knives on air, and look at my God, they used to show quantity back then. They were up to 22,000 Ginsu knives. So I was watching all of that, and I was watching one day a reindeer made out of wood, and when you pooped its up, picked up its tail, it pooped peanut M&Ms. 38,000 of them. So I said, someday I'm going to figure out something to go on QVC. So when I got to Bath and Body Works and we started to change the brand and I was now having my product out and we're adding a couple hundred million dollars, I had to tell the customer. And how do I inform that this is now not the product they thought it was? So I called up QVC and I said I was going to come to QVC and not realizing it, they wanted me more than I wanted them. They didn't have a home fragrance business. And I quickly, my first show on QVC was an hour show. We sold out in 43 minutes. It was in Women's Wear Daily, the fastest show ever to sell out on QVC. And um, we were so successful that it turned into their number one home fragrance brand on QVC. Um, and was so successful that I opened up the Investors Conference for Limited Brands talking about how QVC works, how they talk in your ear. If you're doing well, they say, hey, go back to that because that just we just saw a spike. So it actually was an enormous plus to the sales in the stores. Um, when I stepped down from QVC to go out and do my fashion brand, I stopped doing QVC because I wasn't selling in the store anymore. And so they stopped. They didn't They didn't continue on QVC, but it was such a fascination. And we'll get to the part later of how I got back to QVC. Well, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, you, from what I understand, QVC implored you to come back and create a home fragrance brand for them specific. 
Tell me a little bit about why you thought that was the right time. Sure. So what ended up happening is I was retired for about six months, which my wife did not like at all. She did not like, she said I was spending too much money. So she said, get back to work some fashion. But I'm like, I'm having fun. And she was having lunch um, with the number two of QVC because Laura had nest on QVC at the time. So she was having lunch. And you know what ends up happening? Just like you and I, once you meet someone and you like them, you become sort of longtime friends. So you're a longtime friend. We know each other socially besides here. Um, I was on QVC, so how do I not maintain a friendship with all the people that are QVC? So she was having lunch with the number two at QVC and said, join. I said, of course, I'd love to see him. So I joined, and at the end of lunch, she turned to me and said, by the way, we've never replaced your home fragrance. We'd love to have you back. My wife kicked me under the table, and I said, if you're serious, let me know. And Monday morning, I woke up to a proposal that was serious, and I said, you know what? I can do this. I could just do QVC, and it allows me to do it out of my home, pre-COVID. So I did that. They didn't want to ask for uh, it to be exclusive. They just wanted to launch me on Home Fragrance. And I did it. It was called Homeworks by Harry Seidkin. And I launched. And as a typical entrepreneur, what ends up happening when you launch one place, you get the sort of the need to feed that entrepreneurial business. And that's how we ended up expanding past QVC. But I quickly became QVC's number one home fragrance brand. And we exceeded the numbers I did when I was on it originally at Bath and Body Works. So I am on and we do QVC in the UK. And all the QVCs are asking me to do them, but I'm trying to get a little sleep in between. When you think about what Homeworks by Harry Slatkin was to QVC and what it is today, because the line still exists under the larger parent company. You know, what was the difference between the original original Slatkin & Co. model? You know, was it more about contemporary price points and mastige, or was it really just kind of filling the gap that Slatkin & Co. left? And Yeah, so why did I do it? You're asking, why did it make sense to go back to QVC? The reason it made sense to go back to QVC is I was mad at the industry again. So when I actually sold the company to Bath and Body Works, I was upset that I was seeing in the consumer stores. I don't care if it's a drugstore. I don't care if it's a food store. I don't care if it's in a mall. I was seeing everyone letting the customer down. And they were going What do you mean by that? Tell me oh, a little. Oh, you know, what do you mean cheap by that? fragrances, inexp- you, know, um, you know, additives that actually push fragrance out. Um, cherry was going back to smelling like cherry cough drop again. I just... It was going back. I'm like, what happened? I did this so hard. I built it up. You should have all followed me. I was a success in, in the industry, and they didn't do it. And so I said, okay, I'm getting back in because I'm going back to my master perfumers. I'm going back to building it like a fine fragrance with top, middle, bottom notes. My nose is going back into this. I just felt a void again, and I felt shame that you made me come back because that void was missing, and that's why I went back. That's why I did it. Did you feel like it was a comparison or comparable to what you created in 1992? Or was it even more elevated? Was it supposed to be even more prestige? Yeah. So I think what I had done is I was prestige. Um, I treated, remember, coming as the number one luxury home fragrance band and being at Neiman's and Bergdorf's and being their number one luxury home fragrance at Harrods and London, et cetera. Um, I treated those luxuries, so I have never treated anything that I do, and to this day, as not luxury. Because remember, 
not one candle I've ever, ever created doesn't get burned in my own home and used. So why would I ever, which is what really bothers me about those other businesses, is there's no passion. There's no love. The creativity has to come from passion and love. And it has to come with an awareness of the level of quality. And I do not want to treat someone in buying my candle. I don't care if it's a QVC. I don't care if it's at Kohl's. And I don't care if it's at Home Depot. Why would I ever treat that customer and talk down to them? Oprah didn't. The success of Oprah was she had a mass customer base, right? Big audience. Yet she showed them her house in Montecito. She showed them Oscar de la Renta when he was live in a fashion show on air. She launched Tory Burch bringing Tory because she, because she loved it. And that's how I treat it too. I love it and I will not compromise and you cannot get me to compromise for anything. So when you say luxury, I want to talk through that a little bit, Harry, because, you know, the price point of Homeworks by Slatkin & Co. is not, you know, $100, not $60 like a diptyque candle. You know, it's in the 30s and 40s, depending on the size. And so what does luxury mean to you today? Because I know that there are other tiers within the larger business, but how are you thinking about price and, and positioning when you think and when you're treating all your customers well? Yeah, so what I was really able to learn when I went into Mastige, when I, uh, obviously when I sold my company, is economies of scale that allow you to do a lot more. So where you really pick up the benefit is the economies of scale. So for an example, when you're dealing with a fragrance house and you're doing small business, they have to charge you a lot. It takes a lot of time to, you know, get those oils, put them together, the ingredients. When I'm doing an economy of size, the same effort and paperwork and production just gets done in a bigger way so I get better prices. Same with lids, same with glass, same with boxes. Instead of having to set up running 300 candles, I can now set up and run 3,000 candles, 30,000 means the machines don't have, the labor allows you to get to economies of scales of pricing. And that's the wonderful thing about what I do. So the quality is still there. But you know, a lot of other luxury companies don't do that. They don't want to do that. They don't want to create, you know, accessibility. They don't have to let you know, for instance, other companies like, look at Hermes, you know, the, the most special um, luxury home fragrance brand in the world. Well, why? Well, when you go in and pay $15,000 for a Kelly bag or Birkin bag, there's a reason that they're making it, keeping it special. They can. So it just de- 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 depends on what area of the business you want to be and where your heart and soul is. For me, I really wanted to affect as many people as I could and I wanted them to enjoy the same kind of conversation through fragrance I was having in my own home. And that's what I do. And I do it now. Going back to QVC, I mean, obviously it provides you that kind of economies of scale that you're talking about. But explain to me how you sell home fragrance. And I've watched you. How you sell home fragrance online. How do you, you know, create that fervor, create that excitement and describe a scent on air? There are a few people that I call genius in this world. Ralph Lauren, my friend Tommy, Les Wexner was. There's just a few people I call genius. And when one thing I have to say that I feel very part of Ralph's world, because I created the home fragrance for Ralph, is when you would talk to Ralph Lauren, I don't care if it's a belt buckle, 
he doesn't think of it as a belt buckle. He thinks in the in, as a story, a movie. So what is that belt buckle or belt a part of is the story he's trying to tell. And I do the same thing. When I create a home fragrance, I don't sit back and say, okay, I want an apple pie. Okay, I want a rose scent. Oh no, for me, it's the same thing. I go through the story of it. For whatever that gourmand moment is, it's what's happening in my home, what came from me. How is it smelling? Is it a scent I grew up with because perhaps my family made that gourmand scent? And what did it create in the home? What kind of warmth? What kind of story? Was it home for the holidays? Was I telling the story? For me, I think in a lot of times, I think in black and white movies, which is my preferred for the old time movies of Home for the Holidays. When I'm doing a rose scent, am I thinking of when I would go to Paris and I would go and I would go into Josephine, who was married to Napoleon, and I would go into the gardens and see the Malmaison, the roses. What's the story I'm trying to tell behind it as opposed to sitting with a perfumer and say, oh, I'd love it to smell like a pink rose or I just want it to smell like a rambling rose. Rambling rose for me means it was growing in our home in East Hampton, around the pool where we had rambling rose, right off the ocean. What's the sea air smell when it hits those roses? When it's in bloom, what does it smell like when it, you cut it and you put it in a vase in your home? To me, I'm the story of scent, not just scent. And that's the difference. So when I go on QVC, I tell a story. And hopefully that story conveys to what I created behind the fragrance so that when it gets in your home and you burn it, that's the magic of the story that you're going to burn. So you launched Homeworks by Slatkin & Co. right before COVID, you know, right before everyone was really thinking about, you know, scenting their home. I launched launched Homeworks by Harry Slatkin. And then I got my Slatkin and Company name back. So I now own that. But I started off by Harry Slatkin. But I launched it, what was that, a year before COVID? About a year before COVID. A year and a half. The timing, could, the timing couldn't have been more right. I mean, you had kind of proven your your ethos and your brand. And then now we're in this moment where people were obsessed with creating sense for their home and atmosphere and a welcoming environment, you know, when they're afraid and scared in the world. Did you see that? you know, play out real time? So I want to go through a little bit of history beforehand and then get to what happened during COVID. So what happened is, remember, I launched and created a large sum fragrance brand in a normal world, right? What you'd call a normal world, although nothing's normal. And even in a recession, Laura and I had Slatkin and Company growing because people spend time more home, um, more time home. And so I saw that. So when COVID came, to be honest with you, the first thing that I thought of was, and this is true honesty, is I've got to keep my employees no matter what. No matter what. And I didn't do it with the company loan. I figured, what do I have in savings? What do I have in in money? And are my customers going to pay me so I can do that? That was the first thing that we thought of. The second part was, okay, we're all going to be spending more time at home. Scared beyond. I actually even did a video, which I posted, of myself talking every day because I needed that therapy of talking to my customers. It was great in the beginning. I went for a walk every day to clear my head in Florida and we're talking about, hey, I'm scared. I'm scared to get this thing. But while that was happening, I was burning my candles. I couldn't wait to open the door. Scent was clearing my senses, probably making me feel a little less scared in my nose. And it did the same thing for the customer base. 
So the customer base was also enjoying burning my candles, was realizing they're staying home more, not seeing people, and needed to create that space to create that aura. And they turned to me at QVC. I didn't sell anywhere but QVC then, so you could only buy a QVC. And um, that's what they did. And Kohl's. I think I was in Kohl's at the time. So they would actually, Kohl's did um, pick up where you could go to the store and pick it up by not going in the store. But um, I did. And I became entertainment. People were watching more TV. So they're watching me more on QVC. And um, they were burning my candles more. But my business is still growing after that. So did I gain viewership and, and customer base? Probably. But I don't ever want to look at it that I benefited from COVID because probably one of the most horrible times in my entire life that we've ever had. And um, I would actually have given up benefiting from COVID if we didn't have it. So my answer to you is, yes, I saw the growth, but we saw the recession growth in the 80s and home fragrance grew then as well. That's interesting that you say that, Harry, because, you know, and I'm... I hear this from a lot of founders, you know, that they saw this COVID spike and they saw this huge, you know, um, growth in customer base or um, sales. And you can kind of never repeat those moments again. You know, it's it's a flash in the pan. So how are you able to kind of sustain interest in the brand, sustain customers, you know, when you're out of COVID, thank God in a way, but at the same time, we're prepping for another really downturned cycle. Right. Well, again, remember in the 80s, we did well in recession because people spend more time at home. Gas becomes expensive, so you don't go out as often, you eat home more. So that benefits place things like home fragrance. For me, um, I really think that my reason to grow, my reason to be is I'm back. You know, I'm back. I'm back with wonderful product, great quality. Um, the vessels are beautiful to look at. The burn is sensational down to the last little bit of wax. I'm back. I'm giving them quality that I did for many, many years. I'm giving the scent variety and working with the master perfumers again. So I'm giving them what they had for all those years. So I think my growth is because other people didn't do it. They let it down. You know, about a year ago, Harry, you got your original brand back. How did that happen? Well, when I launched, it was abandoned. My name hadn't been used. I went to the courts, and because it is my name, I was able to acquire it back. So now I've relaunched it under Slatkin & Company. So my 30 years history is back, and I'm raring to go. And within Slatkin & Company, you have different tiers of brands. Like, obviously, Homeworks, which we talked about a lot, is your kind of, like, luxury offering to the customer. But then you also have You know, have I look at it of- this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look at it this way. And I learned it, <clears throat> excuse me, from Ralph. So when I first came to the Ralph Lauren meeting when they asked us to do Home Fragrance, and I don't mean to reference Ralph so much, but really, what a genius. I remember sitting in the meeting... Two things happened. I'll tell you the funny one first. They walked in with a six-foot six tall birch tree. And they said, this is what Ralph wants for home fragrance. And I looked at him and said, how do I put that in a box to sell on a shelf? That was the first one. And they looked at me as if to say, well, that's your job to figure out. That, that's a Ralph moment, by the way. The second part was Ralph, that first meeting, they talked to me about doing home fragrance and all their tears. I left, I, tears, when I say tears, black label, purple label, white label, chapped, all those, many tears. I left there in tears because I didn't understand it. I'm like, 
what was that all about? And I then realized that the genius of Ralph was having so many th- tiers allows him to sell in distri- different distribution points, but is meant to be used by all the same customer and consumer. So you put on a purple label. Doesn't mean you can't wear chaps with it. Doesn't mean you can't wear Ralph does it with it. Doesn't mean you can't wear RL with it. So it allows you to have it all in your home, depending on the sensibility, depending on the look of the product. That's what I'm doing now. So between Homeworks and all my brands that I do, Scentworks and Aroma Home and Slatkin and Company, it's allowing you to shop me at different points of distribution, but allowing me to use me in all areas of your home, all areas of your family. So if a person who is my daughter's age can't afford something on my higher end, she can afford something on the lower end, but she gets the luxury of using Slatkin and Company. I'm following what Ralph set out in motion. You mentioned just a second ago when you were in that room with that birch tree, you didn't quite understand the tears. A lot of people today, you know, would argue that you know, you're distilling your brand and you're um, ruining your brand by having tears. You know, a lot of luxury companies say that. What would you say to that? No, I think there's different levels and I've seen many brands actually succeed in it. So genius is Ralph. So I would argue you should study Ralph Lauren more. Maybe it helped being inside Ralph Lauren to understand how they do it. Um, and learn from that. Maybe that helped. Michael Kors would be another one that I would point to that's been hugely successful and tiered his brand from Michael. Then you have Michael by Michael Kors. You have MK. So I think there are lots of brands out there that do it. Um, the ones that aren't succeeding, do they have a powerful enough brand to do it? I don't know. Do they have a powerful enough voice to do it? I don't know that either. I can only say that I've studied, my, my favorite books to read are about people and what they've done. And I've, I've read, I love reading the insight into it. I mean, nothing more genius than reading books on, uh, on the founder of Starbucks or, or, you know, or, 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 or books on a founder of a bank. So you understand the finance side of life. And I just finished one on, on, on a banker. So my answer to you is, um, there are many successful companies that have bridged that area, but I don't think you can bridge it unless you're strong enough on the top. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so we were the number one luxury home fragrance brand and created the industry. Really, right? I mean, we created home fragrance what it is today. So I can take that and I can take that down and I can actually then do what I want because I have the, I've done the Hermes, I've done the Vuitton. I've done that kind of the Michael Kors brand. I've done that where I created Slatkin and Company. So it allowed me to have that respect to understand how to tier the brand. I think some brands that are doing it are doing it maybe too early on in their building of the luxury first. You got to build the luxury first to do that. What would you say about the channel disruption then? You know, it seems like there's so much consolidation happening in beauty. You know, what you would find at Sephora is now at Walmart or at Target. Do you think it matters where consumers buy? No, I don't. No, I don't. I think, you know, I learned this a long time ago. I can't mention the person's name on air, <laughs> but she's one of the richest, one of the richest women um, on the Forbes list. And I remember having a conversation and she loves to mix her clothes, whether it's couture from Paris or Zara. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of being able to have high, low is the lifestyle we all live now. 
And I think that if you really design a beautiful product on different levels and understanding that, you can mix that all into your lifestyle. So I think it happens on, I mean, fast fashion showed that you can mix that and how wonderful you could do to wear all fast fashion. That's okay too. My daughter does a lot of that, but you could also mix it by putting make pieces of high fashion with it. It just works when you do it. It depends on how it's done. Exactly. Do you want to build more? Oh, you know, I just want to say one thing. When you talk about that, and I'm certainly not going to mention brands, doesn't it bother you that when you do go in and you see a brand that actually tried to distill itself down and they think they can do it by compromising and doing it cheaply? And then the consumer sees that the leather looks cheap, it almost looks like plastic or whatever. That one shouldn't succeed in the business because they're compromising. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think two things that you brought up that were interesting there is that, you know, a lot of diffusion brands don't work because, you know, the quality or execution isn't there. Exactly. And I think that they're also being done at a quicker clip. You know, people are launching a brand and then, you know, two years later, three years later, or even a year later, they're coming out with a sub-brand. So there is confusion. And I understand that confusion. Um, but I think it's all about do, execution. Do you know to me when all of retail changed? Tell me. Okay, you can cut this out if you no, want to no, no. tell you anyway. Okay, okay. So when I was growing up, there was two shows called Dallas and Dynasty. Okay, and Dallas and Dynasty, the, let's talk about Dallas because that's the one that really changed retail for me. So Dallas, you had this family that hit it big in oil, right? So they hit it big in oil. They weren't a wealthy family before. They didn't inherit it. They hit it big in oil and they all lived together in this big mansion in Dallas. And that's what the story was about. But it was the first time you started seeing people wearing Gucci sunglasses in a TV series, sitting by the pool, drinking bottled water out of crystal glasses with a, you know, a sarong around their, uh, around their waist that might have been from another luxury brand. Meanwhile, the front driveway had a Mercedes in a pickup truck. Someone shot their cousin. Someone, <laughs> you know, hit their husband. You know, it was normal life in some ways, right? I mean, I don't shoot my cousin. I haven't had that in my family. But you're arguing. You're, you know, you're having one's got a mistress on the side. It showed the world, hey, you know what? You can have a pickup truck. You can be real. You can, you know, but you can wear a pair of Gucci sunglasses and feel like you're living in Dallas in a mansion. You can drink bottled water and it doesn't have to be out of the bottle. You can drink it out of a crystal glass. But if not, you can drink it out of the bottle. It showed the world. And before that, I remember my mother went to, when I was growing up, my mother went to Italy and she bought her first Gucci handbag back when Gucci was only available in Italy. And so that was a different moment. But what ended up happening is they made it more accessible. And Dallas showed that you didn't have to, you know, live in this penthouse apartment in New York or in a mansion in Dallas. You could actually live with a pickup truck in anything and still wear Gucci sunglasses walking through a mall. And you know what? You held your own. That's when it all changed to me in luxury retail. That's when retail changed. me. You know, Harry, I love that reference because one, I'm from Texas. And two, my parents recorded on a VCR Dallas all the time when I was a kid. And, you know, I remember the who shot JR tagline for oh years and years and years after. The Queen of England tuned in every Friday night to watch Dallas. That's how big an effect it had on the world. The world really was seeing is all these different things that happen in real life, the arguing, the, the, the family issues, 
you know, all the things, money issues, rich one day, bankrupt, all that was happening. But meanwhile, they had on Gucci sunglasses with a puck. I mean, it showed the world, hey, I can do that too. I can live like that. Even if I don't have the mansion in Dallas, I think it's what changed the world. Do you want to launch more brands within Slatkin and Co? Well, right now I've got a lot on my plates and my answer to you is we're growing, we're growing distribution within what we have brand-wise. So I'm going to stay there for one night, but I may have a big one coming up, but you have to stay tuned for that. How big is the business today? Oh, I knew you'd ask that. You're so sneaky. <laughs> um, 100 million. 100 million in sales? Yes. And is one brand outpacing or growing faster than any of the others that you can call out? Actually, I'm very lucky. All three brands are growing really well. So Harry, I've heard some murmurs out there that another transaction might be looming. Is that true? I mean, oh, oh, I never know. I never know. I never know. So here's, I remember this a long time ago. There was a very famous columnist called Susie. She was the number one gossip columnist on page six. And she actually created what became the gossip column. And I'm going to answer you what she said when she would be told a secret. I never kiss and tell. Not even an inkling, Harry. Would you entertain deals again? I mean, do you think going oh, I would, through- oh, Listen, my mind is always open. I'm always open, but only never sell out. I would. I didn't sell out in my past 30 years, and I'm not going to sell out. I would never do anything that to me wouldn't be with someone that would understand the exact language I speak. So when that comes along, yes. Les Wexner came along and spoke that luxury. And obviously that was, you know, back then before everything happened, I'm talking about what he did in business. Um, I'm never going to say no. How could I say no? I'm an entrepreneur. You could turn my head, but you can't turn my head just because someone puts a dollar bill in front of it. I will only do something if it means that I have um, the quality, the the leeway, the product, the, the runway to do something fun, different, not just another. So that would be my answer. But I never kissed and tell until it's the right moment. And would you want to stay on with that brand? Or do you think you're going to be in that rocking chair in Palm Beach? My wife wouldn't let me retire now for the, all the tea in China. So my answer to you is I'm not going anywhere. I'm having too much fun. Honestly, I have to be honest with you. I hope, I hope she doesn't listen to this because uh, it's giving her accolades. Although we love each other so much, as you know, we're so close. Is... I don't understand how I could have taken that time off. This is so much fun. Look who I'm talking. I'm talking to you. I'm talking on air. I've got people, you know, I, you know, I don't care if you're a famous movie star asking for own fragrance. I don't care if you're asking me questions in my Instagram. This is so much fun. I'm alive again. My God, those six months, I had fun. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to sit in a rocking chair. But no, I would never just depart the company. No. I asked this of my question. Can I ask you, say something? So I don't know when you're airing this, but the um, um, Powerball is the biggest it's ever been. So I said to my wife just this morning, what would you do if you won the Powerball? Would you continue doing what you're doing or would you do something else? And she said to me, you know, I'd have to ponder that because that's a lot of money. <laughs> and she said, but I, 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 this is like my DNA. It's like my blood. It'd be like giving up a part of me. So we have two children. It's like our my wife, her third children, and my third child. So we have four children. I don't know. I don't think I could just leave it now. It's DNA. It's part of my DNA. 
Thank you so much for being here, Harry. It was such a pleasure. It was so nice talking to you today. Thank you for having me. It was great doing this. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. <laughs>